0: Welcome to CryptoCast by Gunnar Cook, the leading industry podcast that brings together expert guests to discuss hot topics and useful advice for blockchain and crypto asset businesses. I am James Burney, and thank you for joining me today. Hello, and welcome to another episode of CryptoCast. I am James Burney, a partner at Gunnar Cook, specializing in AI and crypto. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Marcy and Gavin from Datafort. Hi, Gavin, it's Great to have you on. James. Hi, James. Thank um, you great to be the, here. Thank you for the invitation. So just sort of start the ball rolling. Can you give of a bit of background as regards what Datafort does and, and what you guys do at Datafort for people who, who are new to Datafort? Absolutely. Uh, Datafort is a development company. We specialize in doing consultancy for companies that want to Uh, Fold AI into what they, how they run their businesses. And we work on AI related projects. That is where the background of the founders comes from. And it's, you're talking about being a active development side. And of course, around there, lots of debates and lots of attributes here around people talking about AI, can you sort of give an idea of what you're seeing in AI and is it really what you're seeing as kind of this game changing innovation or are you on the side people who think it's going to be of little actual use in terms of the real world impact?
1: yeah it's really interesting the way um, the way the industry is moving. Um, I come from my background is actually using AI within a trading environment, so it's um, I, don't, I don't want to say long in the tooth, but it's it's been around in the trading environment for a long time more more for classic classification and that sort of thing rather than um, trade direction. but it's um, it's been a great tool. I think most people in the general public really first became aware of it with um, chat GPT four. And the induction of that. And I think um, we've seen over the past 12 to 18 months, this transition from people looking at ChatGPT and thinking, wow, this is a, this is a crystal, this is a magic genie. This will do everything I need it to do. Then we just need to ask it and the world's our oyster. Uh, which obviously was um, overplay- overplaying what it was capable of. It's basically a language model, and as time has progressed, um, people have started to temper those expectations. But also, I think that's led to a bit of um, disappointment. So a bit of um, people thinking, "Oh, well, this isn't uh, this isn't so great," you know. And it's almost um, like people have forgotten how revolutionary it was 18 months ago, and now there's a bit of um, a feeling that, um, "Yeah, it's not it's not that special. It's not that great." Now in in reality, I think what's happened in the last two years within AI has been quite um, transformative. Um, there's, it has become available to a much broader range of audiences, a much broader range of companies. And I think what you're going to see with AI is very similar to what you see with a lot of new technologies. People are going to expect a lot in the short term which it will perhaps not move as quickly as people are expecting in the short term. But I think in five years, you're going to look back and think, wow, look where we've come. I think you're going to get this broad underlying trend, improvement in the models, improvement in the technology, improvement in understanding the use case, which is really going to um, allow the technology to be used in more and more places and perhaps expand from where people are originally using it, which is very much in the in the marketing and the um content generation sphere.
0: I mean I think what well, it's interesting that how you're kind of talking about kind of the mere the near term and the long term. And I think one of the issues you know, I've seen is um, you get a sort of nervousness because it is so new. Is your basic advice to then people at this kind of point just kind of avoid it for the moment because it's so new it needs to have all the kinks worked out? Or can people start using it for positive gain today? And if you are going to use it, do you have any advice for people as to how to... Um, best use it, given the novel nature of what we're saying?
1: Yes, I think it's um, it's good to start using, especially for companies that want to integrate it with their process. There's real benefits that can be gained now. And um, by by implementing it sooner rather than later, people start to understand the use cases that um, where it can add value. I mean, a lot of our work with, um, with companies, I guess it shouldn't have been surprising, but um, we find that we spend a lot of that time actually going through their business process, going through how they operate as a business and seeing where AI can be effectively delivered to add real value to their business. So I don't think it's, um, it's at, not at the stage yet where, the, certainly from our experience, where a, cu- um, a customer can look at it and say, oh, I know, we'll go and we'll do this with it and know how to implement that um, that technology. I think um, at the moment it's very much um, that those that early stage and looking at a business process and with a specialist, um, whether it's a specialist company or someone they bring into their organisation, but really understanding what they want to achieve with it and how that technology can be used. So you still need that, um, in my opinion, you still need that area of specialisation. But I do think companies should be getting involved now, because by getting involved now, you'll really start to understand how it can be used and start to see the benefits that it can add to your organisation caveat I would say to that, when you're looking at it, make sure that you understand the security model, which is being adopted with the AI model you're using. Because if you don't understand that security model, it can very easily lead to confidential information being released into the, into the public domain. So absolutely get involved, but get involved with knowledge and understanding of what you're doing.
0: And just building on that, how would you sort of encourage people to get the sort of understanding? I mean, is it a question of you know, how would you go about it if you've never seen it before? Is it a question of looking at the terms, or is it looking at something deeper, or or how would you sort of do due diligence on one of these things if you're looking to use it? Um, that's, I think, that's why. Yeah. Uh, again, I
1: I can only speak from our experience, but what we're finding is um, a lot of companies are coming to us really to hold their hand in those early stages to make sure they're understanding it in the correct way, to um, make sure their securities um, covered when they when they execute and. To help them with where, what areas of their business they can get most benefits from. I mean, there's for a small company that wants to do it themselves, absolutely, the information's out there. Um, so using OpenAI as the model. Um, which um, is the one that people are most aware of, then the rule of thumb is, um, if you're gonna use use it for confidential information, then use the API, which um, their terms ensure that that, public, that information won't be used for model training or release to the public, or use the GUI Teams version where they have the same restriction. Avoid the, um, the free or the professional level, which um, GUI, which that information can be used to um, train further models and could could inadvertently release data into the wild. So that's just a very broad um, rule of thumb that people should follow. But there's also other elements that need to be considered, even if it's um, held securely within within a company. Things around privacy, things around if you're using it for um, uh, personal information. Um, how do you how do you combine the um, the benefits and ensure that you um you meet your GDPR requirements? So there's even if you're using a secure model, there's still things to consider before you implement. And it's much better to think about them before you implement it than implement something. And think, oh, how do I
0: solve this now? Yeah, that's really interesting. I think it's something that everyone's going to have to bear in mind. But I think one of the things which interests me is in the time for chatbot gpt people are talking about ai ai now seems to be synonymous with chatbot gpt do you see them as virtually synonymous think ai covers other things and other ideas and if so what what other things are you seeing out there other than chatbot gpt from an ai perspective which which has got you excited
1: i would actually take a step back and talk about um the model that sits behind chat gpt so the um the generative ai there's um the way that the technology uses language, converts into tokens, and, and then, in the in the way ChatGPT uses it, then does predictive to, um, forward tokens um, to generate effectively generate the um, response. The actual technology behind it, the tokens behind it, is really powerful in terms of um, identifying any kind of relationship in data that that sits underlying in your data set. It's really a step forward in the sense that you can you can break your um your data. I mean one one um guy that I was speaking to, they're using it in a quite innovative way in marketing. A lot of people use marketing AI in quotes. And what they're really looking at is filters. They add filters and some intelligent filters where it suggests a level. What they're doing is taking it down to its base level. And all of the interactions that take place, that's in terms of visitors to the website. It's in terms of response. Um, it's in terms of the way that people use that some um, use that content and respond to that content leading through to the sale. They turn into terms Tokens. And then by using the same models, running it in an unsupervised manner through that data, it comes up with its own set of rules, which can then be tested with a second supervised um, stage. Where is this actually adding value? And that's just one example. When there's a large amount of data to run through, which can be, you can run through using this generative, these generative AI models, you can actually come out with innovative data relationships which no longer require a human analyst to sit and think oh what about this this and this it can actually go through vast amounts of data and identify those rules independently and then you can use the analyst to say does this actually make sense? You know, has this, um, does this rule have any validity or is this just something that is a spurious effect of the data? So it really turns, um, turns that analysis on its head when you're looking at large amounts of data set and that could cover telecom usage. It can cover, as I said, marketing usage. It can cover market data. So there's, um, there's a huge range of areas where this, um, these models that are used for large language models can be used on actual data, um,
0: raw data itself. I mean, one thing that's really interesting is your, your reference to the word tokens, which always to a crypto audience will get ears to perk straight up. Can you give us a bit of idea? What do you mean by tokens and this kind of thing? Are, are you finding it's more to run on blockchain technology, or does token here mean something completely different?
1: So, in a, um, I'm going to talk about in a large, large, uh, LLM model, um the way, what a token represents is a is a set of associated characters. So, when you when you have a sentence, that sentence, the AI will break down into individual tokens. That's individual parts of that sentence individual characters or groups of characters and what it's looking for is interrelationships between those um between those tokens or those sets of characters now a token would be smaller than this but i'm going to give you an example which um, which somebody gave to me which i thought was a great way of looking at it if you ask a person what is closest to a dog is it a cat is it a tiger or is it a swimming pool for a person that's easy a cat and a dog, they're the closest. And then tiger and then swimming pool last. For a computer, that's an incredibly difficult task to solve. Um, now, the way that LLMs and token analysis looks at data isn't um, to try and understand per se the the, inf- the item. What it does, the it, item is referenced by the company it keeps. So you're not looking at dog and cat, are they similar? What you're looking at is the company they keep in all of the vast amounts of sentences that you're analyzing so in your database of millions of, um, of sentences of information you will have a number of occurrences where the cat is my pet the dog is my pet and the cat jumped onto the sofa the dog jumped onto the sofa so the company that those two words keep is very similar you'll have less instances of the tiger jumping onto the sofa or the tiger is my pet but you might have um, instances where there's similarity to the dog and the tiger, so that that has less. It's got less in common with cat and dog, because the, the um, company they keep in terms of words is less pronounced, it's similar. Swimming pool, not so much. You know, there's there's very few strings of sentences or tokens in the um, concept of tokens where there's similarity there so using that technology is very easy for the computer to say actually yeah cat and dog are the closest cat and tiger seconds or dog and tiger second excuse me uh dog and swimming pool third so it, it becomes very easy because you're not analyzing the individual word or token you're analyzing the company it keeps or the other tokens around it
0: that's very interesting it's always nice to get someone who actually goes into details to how it works as opposed to the kind of standard this is the magic bat blots you put in random questions you get random answers trust me approach to describing
1: AI. It also helps to understand in that context when when you're thinking about what is possible. Um, because a lot of people um, when you've uh, there's been a lot some debate about is it actually intelligent, is it sentient, and all uh, all of these questions when you understand what it's actually doing clearly it isn't what it what it's doing is a probabilistic approach to what token comes next and comes next and comes next based on its vast amount of data so it can emulate intelligence But um, I think the question that um, that this leads on to is: I think people, when they talk about, is it intelligent? It's not the right question. It's the what people are really concerned about, and where the concern lays, is actually: is it sentient? Is it aware of its own place in the universe? And an LLM has no concept of self. It has no concept of um, where it sits. So I think I think it's important to draw that distinct distinction. And when you think about it in those in the terms of what it actually does. Mm it allows that separation and um, an understanding of what that separation is.
0: I think that, that leads nicely on to kind of the last question, which is what do you see as the future as AI? Do you think we're heading towards singularity and sentence, or do you think actually this is a fantastic robot, but it is what it is kind of thing, and and that's what we're going to be dealing with?
1: Um, yeah, I think I think the LLNs Generative AI is a really great tool, and it's um, a really good way of, it will allow technology, technological innovations over the next five, 10 years, which we couldn't have even imagined um, five years ago. I think it's, it has that level of power underlying it. Um, sentience is a different question. Um, and I think there are there are projects looking at um, self-awareness and um, and whether how to make. An AI self-aware. Now, there's obviously governments have got involved and um, looking at regulations, and this is kind of, uh, kind of in many ways um, one of the concerns I have. I think governments are trying to regulate what they don't understand, which tends to lead to bad regulation. Where the regulation needs to be, I think, is um, is in that area of making a and AI self-aware, which there's very few projects actually with that stated goal. Um, I think they need to understand what LLMs are. And um, I think to put regulation around generative AI, unless they're doing it to to protect jobs, which is a valid reason, um, then they really don't have the tools to to provide that regulatory framework. I think the um it's the next step, the, the area around sentience that's um where the concern lies. Now this has been this has been an area of research for years uh, and apologies I should have looked up before this podcast the name of the professor working on it but there was a project way back when I first became involved with neural networks as they were then back in the 90s there was a project I think it was Imperial College which was um, brain in a box and what they what he was working on was actually a multi-layer network where it analyzed where each layer analyzed the layer below much like the human brain operates and trying to work towards um, a a model that allowed itself to um, to learn from its own mistakes and learn its place in its environment. And I think those are the areas where you will get research and it has got real potential, but where care needs to be taken because um, a number of people have said, and clearly the case, that once singularity is met, once an AI is A, aware of itself, B, hits, um, hits the point where it is smarter than we are then it will accelerate an exponential rate and, um, and very quickly move from being as smart as we are to much smarter than we are and i think as with anything the un- unexpected circumstances the result of that i don't think um, i don't think anyone can really project what that's likely to be so that's where i think care needs to be taken and perhaps governments have a role in looking at the um, the,
0: the advancement of that um of that part of the technology thank you that's been absolutely fascinating i'm afraid that's all we've got time for today. If anyone listening would like to reach out to Gavin and Marcy, their emails are gavin gavin. Smith at datafort dot o-t.com and Marcy Terman, which is M-A-R-C-I-E dot Terman, T-E-R-M-A-N at datafort.com. Hello, Martin. Fantastic having you on. Thank you very much. Thank you, James. James. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to CryptoCast by Gunne Cook. Cook is a market-leading law firm advising on blockchain, Web3, crypto assets, and DeFi. Our members have been heavily involved in helping to shape the legal and regulatory framework for blockchain and crypto assets. Our team works across multiple jurisdictions, including Germany and the US. We are the only UK law firm to officially accept payments in crypto. Our client base is more than 150. Before we go, if you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review on your podcast service and make sure you're following Cook on social media and sign up to our criticals menu list on the Cook website. Thank you for listening.